Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. In Wales, rugby has helped create an identity that has been intrinsic to Welsh culture for over a hundred years. Some could say that in Wales, rugby has never been stronger, although after this last weekend, we may not all agree. But as ever, passionate arguments continue about the game. And to do that with us this evening, we are joined by James Stafford, who is a Welsh rugby historian and editor of the East Terrace. Hello, James. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. And we've got with us also Welsh Government and Politics graduate from the Wales Governance Centre, whose dissertation explored the relationship between sport and identity in Wales, Mr. Lewis Eldred Davis. Hello, Lewis. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. So before we get into the, the politics, I suppose, of the game, what was your assessment of our performance on Saturday, James? Yeah, I'd like to say it was a surprise, but it was kind of the performance I thought we might have had last season. And I think um, a few chickens have come home to roost on various levels, which we might get into. But yeah, I can't say I was massively surprised, unfortunately. Um, And as a child of the 1990s uh, Welsh rugby, I have a horrible sinking feeling that we might be seeing a few rough years as well. That It's not just a a simple thing about coaching or selection. I think it's far, far deeper than that. Lewis, you know, it was a terrible performance from Wales against an Ireland team that weren't really at the peak of their powers. You know, where, where did it go wrong for Wales? Is it simply a bad performance or is it indicative of broader systemic problems? In the short term, I think many of the players were undercooked going into it. You know, our regional sides haven't played much. Off the top of my head, I think the Scarlets only played twice over the new year. It doesn't help, um, and, and particularly when you're playing an Ireland side, which is predominantly made up of Leinster, who are doing pretty well in all competitions this season, as many seasons for the last three, four, five years anyway. So, yeah, difficult. I'll just throw my two penneth in before we uh, start the pod proper, but it, it was a disappointing game, wasn't it? It wasn't unexpected, but uh, it's never easy to take that kind of scoreline and the performance underneath that, really. I think, how many points did Sexton leave out there as well? It wasn't. It wasn't good, was it? But anyway, we might come back to that. What we're looking at tonight is around the, the identity and the importance of rugby in Wales and you know whether these difficulties will hit us culturally. Both of you have written about Welsh rugby and it, it is an important cultural identifier for us. James, you, you've published on this. Congratulations yeah. on your illustrated history as well, by the way. Do you, you. Want, do you want to just you know set that picture from where how rugby has become this intrinsic part of Welsh identity? Yeah, it's, it's a really fascinating, you know, everyone assumes rugby's been the sport for such a long time that it's just a natural thing. And and I think I've spent the last two years kind of buried in research on, on Welsh rugby history, and it's fascinating to see how that developed and why that developed. And uh, without going into too long a detail, the, you know, rugby has various reasons why it took root in, in Wales. Uh, one of the big things was, again, it's tied to British identity. You know, a lot of people brought the game from universities to Wales, from the English public school system or the English universities. And the football, rugby, they were almost the same sport. They hadn't quite developed in the 1850s, 1860s. They could have gone either way, but the physical aspect of rugby really uh, kind of to overly simplify it, but it appealed to the working class society we had, steel workers, miners, you know, they love that physical nature of it. It was seen as another way of proving your your manliness. And, and obviously mine owners, there was a, you know, it was worth investing in your local sports team because you could kind of ride the glory of that kind of thing. And, and then by just by its nature, Wales did very well in the, by the late 19th century, we were beating England in the international level, which was obviously a huge thing for a young nation like Wales, or you know, a young, a smaller brother rather of England. And it very quickly became seen as the national sport. The Welsh media jumped on that success and we had success at an international level. We, we didn't have maybe a football because football wasn't so international in terms of competition then. And successes over things like the All Blacks in 1905 just kind of helped embed rugby into that kind of national consciousness. And um it's all tight it was seen as a way by some people as a sign of our independence look how strong welshmen are look how creative we are we're smaller but we're cunning and it was kind of seen as exemplifying the welsh character and in other people it was seen as uh, reinforcing that we were a fantastic part of the british empire so immediately it was part of this football is it a british thing that we're good at it and it's a great thing or is it a welsh thing and and it's been called the cultural game of Wales, a national game of Wales. But of course, and I'm sure our guests here will agree on or have a lot to say on this. I think perhaps in modern terms, it's the cultural game of Wales, but on a participation level now, I mean, football obviously is probably played 
my more and watched by more people week to week. And I know in my experience, I'm from Barry, which is very much a football town. Football is the main topic of conversation most of the time when I'm home. So it's very interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit worried of the, it being the national sport. I think it's the context. I think it's probably culturally our national sport. And I've lived abroad in several countries and people see me from Wales and mention rugby. But is it the national sport today in other, other ways? It's a really interesting question. Lewis, I think that brings us on. You know, you can comment on that cultural, the the legacy, 1905 and all that, big part of my uh, undergraduate degree. But, you know, the work you did was very much linked to the football. And, uh, you know, I'd like to recommend listeners listen to, to you speak to Russell Todd on Podcast Pal Droid. Do you want to, you know, further what James has just said, drawing on your research between the, the football and rugby aspect of it? Yeah, totally. Um in those formative years of where football was either association football or rugby football, you know, particularly in, in, in South Wales, rugby football was the game brought into, you know, the working class, uh, whether that was the steelworks or mining and, and so on. It, you know, it came over with the university educated um, students coming back, setting up their private schools, your Llandovery's, your Monmouth's, your, you know, Bracken College, uh, Christ College. And then obviously when we talk about it culturally, Yes, it's, it's predominantly South Walian sport, and that, that's how it develops. Whereas, you know, obviously in North Wales, you have these closer ties with Cheshire, uh, Liverpool. Football is the, the, the cultural sport, the, the sport of the working class in England. And, and I guess those North Walians see a, a closer tie to the, the football rather than the rugby. I, I link it back to um, Laura McAllister once uh, paraphrased uh, Ron Davis with his process, um, you know, devolution is a process, not an event. Football has been a process in Wales, you know, gradual over time. Football permeates the, the consciousness of lives of Wales on a daily basis, whereas rugby is more of that event. It's, you know, February to March, weekend in Cardiff. It, it is the event. It, it ignites the imagination of the nation in not just the people of Wales, but outside. Welsh rugby really seems to be often under attack in various ways at the moment. And I'm not talking about the, the results on the pitch, but in social media, you've got various people questioning the Britishness side of WIU, the affiliation to royalty, the militarism, um, even how the event goers and the drunkenness in the stadium. These are all things which are, are thrown at the, the game in Wales. And we haven't even touched on, you know, how the game is structured, the, the community game, the professional game, the regions, governance, 60 caps and all that. Do either of you want to just, you know, touch on those and how you see those impacting the game at the moment? It's interesting in that I think the my view of the Welsh football team has, has been trying to transform in the last 10 years. I think it's been a wonderful renaissance obviously on the playing field but to see um there's a lot about the FAW I really like from the from the shit the fact they use the dragon on the shield not the feathers I think it's great uh, I'm not a Welsh language speaker unfortunately but you know the way they've embraced that language uh in, in it's in the way it communicates and and also from what I have my cousin I have lots of friends who go to all the games home and away and the experience seems on the whole, far more enjoyable than in the stadium than happened at rugby. I've, I've, some of my last few trips to the Principality Stadium have been marred by similar things that have been in the press with the drinking side of it. So I think that that's a real big problem for Welsh rugby. And going back to the whole feather, the whole feathers thing, it's it's really again, I think it's an important story. But England playing in rose, Scotland have a thistle, Ireland have a shamrock. These are all like national emblems, plants, flowers. Wales chose the three feathers and no one quite knows why they chose it. But the most likely reason is, is the WIU at the time or the people in the WIU at the time wanted to reinforce our Britishness at a time where there was that debate about whether, you know, we were going for home rule independence or, or, or being part of the empire. And that choice of the three feathers was a really interesting choice that the WIU made back in the day. So I think uh, whilst most people think, you know, you're being picky when you pick on that aspect, who cares if the Fed, I think the average person doesn't care. But I think it does say quite an interesting thing about the Welsh Rugby Union and the fact that we're still getting royal patronages and getting royal people in at the top uh, is interesting that we're still doing that like 140 years later. Yeah, you know, just finishing off there on the emblems, wasn't that maybe four or five years ago, uh, the FAW changes emblem ever so slightly. So I think the dragon started facing the other way. And they did a whole PR piece of work, putting a video together. And I think within, I think it's about two minutes, they sort of encapsulate what it is to be Welsh 
today and what it was and you know our failures our successes all in one whereas i think the rugby union uh, the wru particularly find it very hard to sell what it is to be wales today i, th- I think we're still playing off weren't we great in the 70s or the flair the, way, the welsh way of playing and that's still you know still today we, we talk about the certain welsh way of playing I haven't seen quite the same output from the WIU. I think the closest thing I've seen would be uh, ahead of the World Cup in Japan. They announced the squad players by going to the clubs to where the players came from. And to me, that, that's really where I would love to see the WIU working on, you know, talking more about the community game, where these players are you know, brought up. You know, it takes a, a village, a club to, to make a player, to make a person and... That was great. And I, I, you, you don't get that quite as much. I think the recent stuff with Cardiff Rugby, where a lot of the Cardiff RFC boys came up and filled the gap, that was amazing in terms of PR, you know, building off the great story because that's what people buy into, is the narrative, the the story they're trying to sell as well as, you know, obviously it's just a game, 15 against 15, but, you know, plays on the hard strings of uh, supporters and it's, it's the kind of thing I think will get more people into you know, the Arms Park or any of the regions, really. Isn't one of the major issues that, the you know, he talk about the way that the relative governing bodies present themselves, the, you know, the, uh, the WRU as antiquated as the royal families whose patronage they seek, you know, isn't one of the major, major issues that the WRU is this stuffy organisation that just wants to make money from its ticket sales and isn't trying to engage with, the people of Wales, you know, you see the price difference between how much it is to go to see Wales play at the Cardiff City Stadium to how much it is to go watch Wales play at the Principality Stadium. The fact that they, they even the fact that they took that naming deal, that naming rights deal, which they knew would be hugely unpopular because of its links to our history as part of the, the UK and as a, of empire. Do you not think that just shows that the WRU is so out of touch compared to the FAW? Yeah, I think you hit on some good points there. I think, I mean, the pressures on the Welsh Tribunion are probably quite different to the FAW in some ways in terms of why they need to generate money with the links between the club and, and the national level. But I think, again, you know, having spent a couple of years in the history of the Welsh game for, for the last book I wrote, um, the Welsh Tribunion is an organisation that has always been massively resistant to change. And any change has taken decades. And, and what worries me in the current debate, I've seen a lot this weekend, or the good thing about this bad result, and about if we have a bad Six Nations, it'll speed up change. And history shows you that it doesn't. Or if it does, you need 10 years of bad results. It is not an organization that changes quickly. And part of that is because of its structure or based on the, you get to the top by serving your time for decades at the club level. You know, it's this institutional problem. But again, without going into it, the 1920s were a horrific time. And, and the, do you think the Welsh Review is bloated now? It was horrifically bloated then. And again, it took decades to make that change. And there's a... Also, that danger, the Welsh Rugby Union has always been the top sporting institution in Wales and has had been lucky enough that people will keep coming to watch Wales, however badly they are. So what's the reason to change? Like you say, they can fill the stadium at £100 a pop and they need they do need that money. But to overly simplify it, a bad season for the WIU isn't going to change anything on its own. There's got to be so many other factors to change. And as I say, institutionally, you know, They've had done these big reports. The Satasca Watkins report, you know, is a fantastic report that took two years to do, produced by a war hero and top judge. You know, if he couldn't change the WIU, you know, it's it's really worrying. So I think um, institutionally, it's it's very scary because there's no uh, precedent for the WIU changing quickly to results on the field or structural issues. Rugby unions been professional since '95, and I think for most people looking from the outside, we're looking at a WRU board, which hasn't professionalized or, or was, you know, at least taken the steps to become a professional outfit. 2019, they appointed uh, Amanda Blank to the board. Now, a, a chief executive of Aviva, Welsh as well, brilliant. Having a woman on the board is, you know, the kind of diversity we really need to see from the WRU. But within two years, she's gone under a cloud. Nobody knows what's going on there. You know, the Welsh media don't know. And we're left to think, hmm, it's the same old white men in their blazers continuing to do the same sort of things. So it, it could be a bit tiresome trying to, you know, wait for change when when they do the little things, and suddenly everything goes back to the way it was. 
for me personally, the the way the women's game has been treated in Wales has been really sad to see. Uh, pathways just falling apart. The steps recently taken to give professional contracts, great. But if you haven't got the infrastructure beneath that in place, it's sort of like it's a halfway house. You know, the majority of the women's side now are playing in England. You know, there's very few top Welsh uh, clubs for the women. And it's, it's disappointing on the side of the WRU that they've allowed this to happen under their watch. So there's a lot of questions for the governing bodies and how they, they lead the game. It can be particularly frustrating when you're watching on, you're thinking, will anything ever you know, actually improve at that level? What what do you think the answer is then in that regard then, Lewis? Because, you know, you talk about the, the governance structures there in the WRU and then compare it to the FAW and the women's game. And you look at the way in which the women's game in football has moved on so drastically in the last two years. What in Just using women, women the women's game as, as an example, what about the structures and the attitude towards society in these boards is, is causing that difference of attitude and, uh, and priority within, for example, the women's game? The women's team originally had to put a big fight on to be even recognised by the WRU. There's a lot of women I could name who had to put in a good fight to even stack that up. To even get in the room to discuss it with them is always a bit difficult. But, you know, Laura McAllister said the same thing with the FAW back in the 90s. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, people at the top have been started listening and things have started to change. And I, I guess it's having people in those uh, top roles, the executive roles, the directors, make sure that they are people who represent the team. So, you know, are there women there? Are there, you know, people from ethnic diverse backgrounds, you know? Because if you're drawing on the same talent over and over again, that look the same as you, talk the same way as you, Nothing actually changes. For example, you know, going off on the tangent slightly, I was recently looking at uh, Cardiff Lions, the um, LGBTQ rugby side, and I was wondering, oh, what's the strategy in place with the WRU to you know improve inclusivity, this sort of stuff? And I was trolling through their the website. There was nothing there apart from a news piece on that very team. Whereas you look at the FAW now, they've just recently released a power strategy. So outlining what's there for uh, member clubs, footballers themselves, coaches, all there to, to you know make the game more inclusive for everyone because it is a game for everyone. Um, and it's just those little things. I, I just want to see a bit more from the WRU that you know. Likewise, you know when they're using their social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, can it be bilingual? You know, I think the FAW almost make it look effortless in the way they do it. Whereas with the WRU, it seems like a real tough task to just get that bit of Welsh in there, especially when uh, the Premiership, the Welsh Premiership is on S4C to watch that, the college game also on S4C. So, you know, there are people there who could be producing the Welsh output for them. I know it's just a minimal effort at the moment. James, what about the WRU do you think is is making it so difficult to see these changes through do you think it is just a question of not having the right people in the right place to advert to make the game as, as diverse and as accessible as it should be or do you think that the organization as you say resistance to change is resistant to change even even change on grounds of equality such as this the big problem is it's essentially overly simplify the structure you get on there by on the whole doing decades of committee work for your local rugby club and you, you, you ran so now just to give you a quick little bit of my background my i played for a small club my father because i've all been volunteers chairman committee man i've played and volunteered for rugby in four different countries i fully understand the work that goes into as a volunteer a coaching administrator and i've been on committee meetings how tough it is and it's hard work and to get to the top level you look at the wru board the kind of the time servers they're most they're, a lot of them are retired and they've probably been on the committees easily 30, 40 years of service. Those people, well-meaning, everything like that, but when they get to the top, they've had 30, 40 years in that system and they've worked hard to get through that system. And they just have a certain way of doing it. They, they know they're safe. They know where their successes are coming from. And every time they've, people have tried to task a walk into whoever, Gareth Davis recently have tried to make changes. One of the biggest threats is you're taking the ladder away from those coming up next. 
you're messing with a structure that's essentially been there over a century and that's scary to people and those people are effectively institutionalized and even the current uh, ceo you know they've come through the system they've been in that wiu 13 years so often even those the so-called professional side of the board have come from within the wiu and for, it's a horrible thing but institutionalized in some ways and it might not be conscious bias but you're going to have those biases and i think and I've seen, and again, we'll get, you know, I've, I've sat on Welsh rugby committees when I coach mini rugby, and it's a cliche, and it's uh, a sound of, but my God, the Welsh, we can argue ourselves against the wall, you know, like it's unbelievable to see. I couldn't believe the things I was seeing, and this was like a mini rugby district committee meeting. You know, God knows how it goes on higher up, and I've also seen firsthand um, top level Welsh rugby union people in action. And I won't go into it, but it's it's a scary institution in some ways, and when it comes to change, and I think. Uh, the only way to change it is drastically. And it's a bit like, I always use the example of the first past the post system in politics. The only people that can change the first past the post system in Westminster are the people who are benefiting from the first past the post system in Westminster. I remember as a naive teenager being thrilled when Labour were talking about they were going to rick it up. And of course, they got into power for however many years and I don't remember much happening. And, and it's a bit like that with the Welsh Rugby Union. The only change can come about is them voting the system out of place. And that's not going to happen. And I think, again, it's an issue with our media, how well we hold the DYU to account. I don't think the Welsh media on the whole does a great job of holding the Welsh rugby to account or bringing structural issues to light because obviously they're under pressure for clicks, whatever reason, but they're not getting the right debate out there. And I don't know how this would happen, but one of the only ways I can see big change happening is it's going to take the professional clubs whether it's like repeating what Cardiff and Swansea and I get some kind of breakaway or some kind of action where WIU have trouble getting access to players or some kind of outside threat. Um, in football, you had, you know, this World League thing, you know, you got CBC coming. I know they bought into the union now, but I, I think it's going to take some big external threat to, to really change because, again, history does repeat a lot. And this, this is the WIU is not an institution that is going to quickly change or easily change. And the people in it, it's not in their interest on the whole to, to change. Lewis, do you want to touch on the governance side before I take us into the actual performance side of uh, at the regional level? The clubs, the, the regions and, and the union have been loggerheads for a while. And I think it eased for a, a short while, but I think it's going to come to a head again. I think maybe two years ago now, where there was the proposed merger of the Scarlets and the Ospreys. Nobody wants that. Nobody's ever talking about that. The recent changed name of Cardiff Blues to Cardiff Rugby, you know, going back to their roots being Cardiff rather than a, a regional force. And then I guess Gwent Dragons as well. Newport Gwent Dragons, a, a force that nobody wants to mess with because nobody cares. You know, they're not winning and they're, they're not performing. And it's it's a region that only the WRU were willing to invest in. And, you know, a local boy who's done quite well for himself. So, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of challenges for Welsh rugby at a governance level. Do I think the guys involved at the moment are going to bring about that change? I don't think so. I think it's going to, like James was saying, it's going to be an external force, most likely, to force any change. So if I could just ask, what's changed? Because I don't know as much, obviously, on the football. What's changed in the... Because I remember the FAW were a real punchline as well, growing up. What's helped them change to improve so much in the last kind of decade or so or more? I guess it all starts with John Ford, uh, the CEO, former CEO, and Gary Speed coming in. Obviously, it helps when they're successful. And the start, you, the start of the success of the Welsh side was when Gary came in. With John Ford coming in, you had... A guy who knows PR very well and was able to reflect the fans. So the fans were seeing a side that represented them, a bilingual Wales, a more confident Wales, I guess. And it also was a bit like the players representing Wales were players from all across the country and outside. So, you know, the captain of Wales from Birmingham, you had boys from the northeast, the northwest of Wales, uh, the west of Wales, Welsh speakers, English speakers. Bilingual, you know, it, it was everything. And it was just doing the little things right. You know, the little partnerships that the FAW have introduced with the Earth, uh, when they did press conferences, so when they announced Ryan Giggs, they did it in St. Fagans because they have a partnership with Cadu. It's, it's like the little details. Before the Euros, they put basically a rock outside of all these uh, famous castles across Wales with each of the players' names on them. So you could go round Wales and have pictures outside of them and collect them or such, you know? And it was just 
tying back the heritage and culture of Welsh football with what Wales was and is today, I guess. Yeah. One one of the things we're we're talking about today is we've we've established the cultural kind of importance of rugby. I think that'll be hard to argue, no matter the little football rugby dynamics we can have. But since we've had regionalization of rugby, it's been under pressure from sides. It hasn't been bought in from everyone. And, you know, while the national team, uh, everyone would say the last 15 years, we've glossed over it. It's, uh, you mentioned the 90s, James, earlier. And yeah, that was my rugby time. And it was very, very painful. So the last 15 years at the national level has been absolutely fantastic. But people have long been saying that it's masking over the cracks. And I think there was an article last month by two of my rugby heroes, Paul Thorburn and Nigel Davis, who said that rugby really is on a cliff edge in, in Wales. And, you know, our professional game is in four teams all below the M4 corridor. You know, what, what is your take on where we are with that? Is there some reality in these kind of suggestions? Nothing, you know, there's an assumption in Wales that rugby will always, has always been the big game and it's always going to be the big game. And that's that's not true. Um, the world's changed, you know, you know, again, I'm overly simplifying, but you go back 40 years, you know, what did you do on the weekend? You, you Some guys played sports, some guys watched, I'm talking men because, you know, rugby was a men's game then, men primarily. And you either played sport or you watched it on the whole. You know, you, there was no other, there wasn't much other entertainment. There wasn't much else. You know, that, that kind of, you instantly had half the country playing, watching or involved in sport, I guess. And that's not true in modern life between, and also roles have changed in the family and, and the lifestyles and the hours people work. You can't always be free on the weekend. And society is completely different to how it's been the last hundred years. And you can't assume rugby will just retain its position in Welsh society. And the other danger, and I think the Welsh Rugby Union have a lot to kind of answer for here as well, is the Six Nations is an event and on Six Nations Day, it's all over the newspapers, all over the internet, all over the, the televisions. And um, but most for most people, I'd say that's their only rugby they watch all year and, and the autumn internationals. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know. No, not everyone has to be a, a 50 week a, a year fan. But it's the problem is we've had success relatively in the last 15 years, so that looks good. Uh, the stadium's pretty much always been full. But how much are those people interacting with rugby away from that for, from the Welsh games? Um, and then furthermore, from the Welsh rugby, union point, Welsh rugby Union point of view, most of those people don't care about the governance issues. So the media probably don't feel like they need to, to they put articles on about the governance and they always complain, well, not many people followed them. So it becomes this vicious circle on the few occasions some of the big journalists or papers do feature issues about the Welsh rugby union or the regional game or the club game. It doesn't get many hits. Therefore, in the modern world of journalism we live in, they don't do more follow-ups and it becomes this vicious circle because most people don't care. And also, and I, I mentioned it earlier, but there needs to be an education of people of trying to inform people more how professional sport works, the demands on it. Because one of the things you always see, oh, they should build a stadium up here in the north. And But building a stadium in North Wales, I mean, well, that's 20, 25 million. How are you going to support it? Where are the players going to come from? And again, you can't just import a team into a place and expect it to win. But you'll see that debate raised all the time. And I think, and that's another issue, is people see simplistic answers like they do in politics and that, but we need to have a more informed debate and like it or lump it or like it or, lump it, sorry, like it or not, you know, since the 1880s, primarily the four main clubs in Wales are the FFB were Newport, Cardiff, Swansea and Clenethley, right? It's a big four. And that's part of population density and things Lewis talked on earlier about why football took off more in the North. And it's very hard to, to change that. It might not be advisable to change that as another debate, but, you know, also um, the economics of it. You know, we are a small country and people often make the mistake of comparing us to New Zealand and Ireland because they're relatively small countries too. But the social, educational, political, cultural structure, geography of those countries is so different. We have a unique set of problems here and benefit and advantages too, but it's a really complicated situation. And I think, unfortunately, there's not probably the public discourse on it we, we need to have. Ireland and New Zealand, of course, in independent countries, something to worth pondering on. Lewis, I'm going to put this to you and to, to James. Something that's always been suggested to me as one way that you could bring interest and, well, the money into the Welsh regional game is if you made Welsh regional teams play English teams more regularly, or whether the prospect of having a, a Wales-England league rather than what we currently have now 
taking on Irish, Scottish, and for some reason uh, Italian, and for some reason South African teams, whether there would be more interest in our regional game if we were taking on the you know teams from from England more regularly, and whether that that could be beneficial to the Welsh game. It's a, it's a lovely idea. I think um, many Scarlet fans like myself would love to play Bristol more, play Bath, play Gloucester, play Exeter. It's just they don't want us. Uh, that's you know at the end of the day, that's the situation we're in. And the thing is, we, we, we're finding it difficult to fill in, you know, fill the crowds, fill the stadiums that we have now. You know, the Ospreys are playing. Well, I think they were the the most populous stadiums in the regional game in Wales, but they weren't filling the Liberty, uh, the now Swansea.com stadium. You know, I, I personally would love them to play down the St. Helens, uh, but that, you know, that stadium needs a lot of work and it's not quite there. The other issue you have is the your easy win in terms of getting people into the stadiums are people that play the game. And unfortunately, they're playing on a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon, you know, whether that's the juniors on Sunday or the, or the seniors on the, on the Saturday. They have a really good, a hard task of, of drawing in new audience beyond the traditional, you know, community rugby club players and people involved. I think I think they could learn a lot from the NFL of all, all things. You know, we, we take for granted as Welsh people that the rugby is a simple game. It's a complex a lot of laws and rules to go by. There's a lot of work that could be done on the, the production end of the TVs and whatnot to actually simplify the game and make it a bit more fun and you know interactive and more understanding for the everyday fan or, or people who want to get into the game plus i, I think because we're very traditional with rugby it's all about the clubs the heritage the history maybe there's, there's an avenue to talk more about the player power the players themselves so for example south africa we talk about khaleesi and his story particularly and that's how you know the investment from Rock Nation came into South Africa and now the URC. I, I, I can see it going down that more, more of that avenue going forward. Yeah, at the moment, the, the way the regions are in Wales, I don't see any Welsh Anglo League. But you know, we used to have the Welsh Anglo Cup, but that was almost like a seconds team sort of competition. And we have this bizarre situation with our main competition, the URC, that we play games during the Six Nations, that nobody else, no other sport would do that because, you know, you're not going to draw in the crowds. You're not going to get the viewers. So, it, yeah, there's a lot to work on there, I think. Yeah, historically, it makes complete sense. And I think one of the, the worst things that ever happened in Welsh rugby to me was the late 90s when the RFU offered us, I think, about six places in the setup in England, some in the top division, some lower down. And the game had just gone professional. It was a very chaotic time, but um, I, I remember then I wanted us to take that. And I think history showed that was a really bad decision for the domestic game to not to take that. And it was a lot of arrogance and misunderstanding as well. But thinking that professional rugby was going to support the full league while structure of 12, 15 top level teams. And it was a real lost opportunity. And I think to me, there's no doubt commercially kind of Anglo actually would probably work better. The problem is, is how it happens. And CV, the, the most likely way that's going to happen is someone like CBC, the big investors that have come in and ask for, say, a British league, or they do it. Because I think we've unfortunately missed the boat on that as much as I, I, I would want it. But it, it just it's interesting to say the problem, the Welsh product, the URC product, because you, as you, you know, kind of said in the intro, you've got South African teams in it, Italian teams in it. It's got a lot of problems, the league. And one of them is, is the kind of there's no real history to the rivalries but that's not insurmountable but you have most of the time the top players aren't playing in it you have no relegation so a lot of the games are just dead rubbers I have two kids now I write books in my spare time I don't have much spare time and often if I have time to watch one I'm a Cardiff fan I was a season ticket holder as a kid often if I've got one time two hours on a weekend to watch rugby uh, I'm probably going to and it's it's on Czech TV, they show the English Premiership as well. And it comes down to, I don't know, Bristol uh, v. the Harlequins or Cardiff v. Benetton or Cardiff second v. Ulster's thirds. I'll choose the English Premiership because for that two hours, I will get a better, on the whole, get a better product. And there's a problem if, and I'll still watch the Cardiff stuff and catch up and read on it. But if I'm choosing my, okay, I'm miles away, maybe not a problem, but if I'm choosing to, the English product most weekends over the Welsh one when I have limited spare time, that's a problem because I'm a Cardiff fan. So this is the problem. The domestic offering is, is turning off 
kind of hardcore fans like me, I guess. So it's certainly not going to attract casuals, you know, when there's so many other things on offering. I, if I, I'm assuming most Welsh people would probably rather watch a Premiership football match than the average URC game. And, and that's an issue. And I think Lewis talked a really good, I'm a massive NFL fan. And one of the things they do, as he said, really well, sometimes to a laughable level, but they know how to build narratives and stories. And without going too deep into the culture, the history thing, one of the things that amazed me about Cardiff in particular, that whole blues experiment is American football teams or sporting teams would kill for 10% of the heritage Cardiff Rugby Club had. Just 10% of that heritage. And we decided to throw it away on a really lazy brand name that couldn't even be trademarked. Yeah, because another rugby club had it in, in the world rugby. And I think we're really bad at, for a country that often lives in the past with rugby, we're really bad at selling our heritage. I mean, the fact we have no rugby museum at the, at the stadium is just beyond my scope of imagination. And we're really bad at celebrating our own history of sport in the country, celebrating our sport and histories. And I think maybe there's something that needs to be done about that in all our sports, but uh, maybe rugby in particular needs to get better at telling narratives and engaging people in other ways. James just summed up my position as well in many, <laughs> many ways. And, uh, there's so much about history and sport, which you know, I, I'm really glad. One of the things we haven't touched upon is rugby league, but I'm really glad. Mm. One of, I think, Welsh Rugby Union's darkest hours is the way it treated a lot of our uh, rugby league exports, particularly those from uh, areas of the, the docks and of Cardiff, Newport and Swansea who went north. So I'm really pleased to see that kind of story and the statue develop in the bay. But Lewis, do you want to go on a little bit and build on what James has put there? I, I can totally agree with his, if I've got a spare two hours, where am I spending my time? I don't know where to start with the URC. Um, <laughs> if it's not on S4C, I'm not, I'm not watching it to start off with. Are we talking about brands like Cardiff Blues, now Rugby? Bristol recently you know, renamed to Bristol Bears, but they haven't you know, totally lost their, their following. You know, they've moved stadium as well to uh, Ashton Gate. Season ticket holders have actually increased. I think we've got about 10,000 now. If the Scarlet, Ospreys, or any of the regions had 10,000 season ticket holders who were there week in, week out, you know, I think we'd be in a much stronger position. But like, but like you said, the way the WIU treated, uh, well, the Welsh rugby in general treated those uh, players uh, like Billy Boston and Clive Sullivan and how they went north and, you know, they had statues. They, they've been, you know, looked after properly and, there's a legacy up there that, unfortunately, it's only taken in recent years for documentaries by, you know, Carolyn Hitt, mm. for people to realise, you know, the legacy that they've left, which is, you know, a sad indictment of how we uh, think of Welsh sporting history. We've got a lot of history there that we don't talk about beyond rugby union, and I think we could do that a lot better. And just last thing on that, I, I'm from Barry, uh, born kind of raised in Barry, and I it wasn't until two years ago when I was doing my research that I first properly heard of Gus Risman who basically, they have a statue of him at Wembley. I think there's only about five rugby league statues at Wembley. He's one of them, one of the greatest all-time players, you know, basically from Barry. And I've after I found out about him, I asked a few of my, my, my dad and uncles, had you heard of him? And they were Barry all their life. And they were like, no. So, you know, we had this unbelievable rugby league legend from my hometown and no one I asked had ever heard of him. You know, it's only, again, it's coming to light a bit more in recent years. I just think as a nation, not just rugby, but we're not boxing as well. Like some of the heroes we don't celebrate in boxing who on, on a world level, we're not very good at celebrating our own sporting heritage. And I think there's a lot more we should be making of it because it's, it's amazing. I think, you know, what you've said absolutely sums up where I am on a lot of this. Well, I do hope it's going it's horrible, but I do hope private equity money like CVA uh, drive the agenda. And I, I think they must be looking at a premiership model to mm. for rugby. And I think that's what will will happen eventually. But we're talking about heritage. So, so I'm going to draw you back into that. And, you know, the, the changes in rugby is all good. And what we've talked about. But do you think, you know, some of the, the institutions and heritage, which uh, I think we probably all long for, like the bar bars, um, you know, what we used to have with the bar bars is gone and now it's a completely different thing. And even the Lions, I was in a discussion this weekend on the Lions and how it's, it's statistically when Welsh players come back from a Lions tour, we get absolutely hammered in that following Six Nations. And there's certainly a, an element in Welsh society that isn't, supportive of the Lions and doesn't want Welsh players going. But, you know, have you got any take on those kind of heritage aspects which we do want to keep or are fading into the background? Are you, are you Lions fans, boys? I'm going to be controversial here. For someone who's into Welsh rugby history, I'm I'm, a, I'm the same, not a Lions fan. The, the problem I've got 
The problem with rugby and professionally is you can't have all the stuff from the amateur, the barbarians, the lions, but then throw in World Cups and Autumn Internationals and European Cups. Something has to give. And the barbarians have effectively don't exist much. well they do exist but they're much more the games obviously don't have the meaning they don't have they used to have the problem with the the lions concept um, i don't think it's going to die i think this is commercially huge but the problem is in a world where players we're seeing the effects of professionalism on players brains players bodies having a world cup having then straight back into you know domestic rugby full summer tours and then going into a lions tour you know it, it does take a toll on players and i think you can't have it always, but unfortunately, the professional game needs the money. So something's got to give. And obviously, the Lions has given in the last few years by getting shorter and shorter. And I don't know how you can keep the Lions to be what it was in the in the era in the fixture list. And the problem the debate often is then, and this is where it comes back to tradition. People say, well, the club should give up something to allow the Lions to be at full strength and to have more time. But it's the clubs that are struggling to survive and for their leagues to survive. So you can't expect the clubs who are paying for those players who then get broken on Lions tours or whatever to just give up a month of their season, you know, and, and it's a unique problem to rugby because obviously you would never have a situation where the Premier League and football would have every four years, right, make your season like two months shorter or a month shorter. So it, structurally, it's really difficult and the Lions is going to suffer whether you whether you like it or not, whether you support the concept or not. And I, I'm very it's going to be very interesting how that survives or what compensation they try and make it. Because I do think the club game in all countries needs to fight for itself as well to survive. Because rugby's big problem is the international game. It's that case of killing the golden goose, you know. Wales can play, especially in a World Cup pair, 15, 16 times a year. And it's the specialness of that occasion. If you don't see Wales, New Zealand this year, you can probably go and watch them next year. You know, international rugby is a very small community and I'm very envious of football of how much bigger the international world is. And you can't keep adding international fixes because it suffers, the club team suffer. And you see that in the URC where if you've got an international playing for Cardiff or the Scarlets, they're probably only going to play seven or eight games in a season if you're lucky. And then they're going to come into a team and it's going to be unstructured because the team's not used to playing with each other. So rugby has this huge problem. And I think somewhere, and I don't know how you do it, the international game needs to give something to the club game to allow the structure of the club game to thrive and develop and not undermine it. And it's difficult. And I, I don't have an answer to that, but I think it is a huge, a very unique rugby problem. One of the things I think the regions in Wales haven't managed to secure is that heritage and that emotional legacy which the clubs had, even though they are very similar. And one of that is the heritage of touring teams. So for you, James, you know, Cardiff never lost to Australia in a, yeah. as a touring team. And Lewis, I've been at Llanelli often enough, so I do know we beat the All Blacks. But, you know, do you think we missed the trick by by not having or trying to get those kind of tours to, to give those... Uh, emerging regions a kind of history and legacy that the, the clubs have I think if you ask any Scarlet's fan I think they would love a touring side to come over I don't think we'll get the All Blacks ever again you might get the Maori All Blacks there's too many fixtures at the moment and when nobody's thinking about the welfare of the players the physical toll of these seasons like we said the World Cup season is mad for some of these players when we're talking about the international game as well because we're already quite limited in the scope of how many international sides are playing at this high level anyway? What would it take for Wales to do a tour of the Pacific Islands rather than a tour of Argentina? The Pacific Islands, such as you know, Tonga, Fiji, uh, Samoa, you know, financially, it would be great to go there and they, they all fill their crowds. We can give them you know, the financial support that they need. Because um, at the moment, it, when it, those World Cups do come around, you can name the final four final six off the top of your head. You know, five siders you want to bring into the game, that's not really enticing, is it? The Georgia-Portugal game on the weekend was very good, good to watch. But I don't think many people knew that was on unless you're a rugby fanatic. I think we can expand the game a bit more, basically. I, Barbarians playing someone like Georgia or Portugal or Poland even, you know, a bit more fun, a bit, bit more variety. But yeah, it, it takes those governing bodies to look at it and say, financially is, is it good for them and most of them are saying mm, not really first you not think that this issue of of money above all else is really one of the major problems we've got in the game at the moment that you're just looking for the quick financial wins you look at the way that the future of public 
broadcasting of these games was put under threat by the by the prospect of Amazon money coming in. You look at the discussion you have around bars and drunkenness culture, you know, not that the WRU will stop serving alcohol, it will just serve weaker alcohol and limit the amount of time that the bars are open. A lot of the discussion relating to COVID regulations was about the impact it would have on bars in Cardiff. Of course, again, and if you're an owner of those bars, a hugely important thing to consider. If you look at the cost of tickets, like we discussed earlier, if you look at the fact that instead of a a place where you could have a museum to the history of Welsh rugby near the Millennium Stadium, you've got a, a shop. If you look at the fact that you have Lions tours, even though it could add undue pressure onto the bodies of the players who are playing into them. Do you not think that so much of this discussion boils down to international rugby bodies and national rugby bodies just chasing the dollar over everything else? Yeah, it's and it's, it's look, it's really difficult because Welsh rugby, like the, the clubs, the top four pro clubs, they don't have enough money to survive. They don't have enough money to buy the in-depth squads they need to compete. Um, and then, as I said earlier, the Welsh Tribunium can fill the stadium, you know, sort of, what now, f- seven, eight times a year. But what's happening in the long run by chasing that is, as I said to you, like, I used to, I've lived abroad now for 20 years, but I used to come home twice a year at least to see big games. But now I know if I don't go and see Wales, Australia this year, I can go next year because they're here again. Whereas when I was a kid, you might only see Australia every seven, eight, nine, ten years. You know, that, that regularity is just that familiarity, familiarity breeds contempt thing is happening. So the problem is in the long run, especially if the results continue to fall off for a long period like they did in the 90s, is why would I keep going to see Wales and filling the stadium out? But then I'm not going to go to the club game because the club game, the tournaments are mess because the top players aren't there. So by having all these internationals in the short term, you're getting the money coming in from the income. And the same thing, selling the beer, you're getting the money in from that. In the long run, if you're damaging the experience, going to a Welsh game, well, I'm more or less likely to go. And I know a lot of people who don't go now that used to go, like not just a few, like a lot of people that would miss a game that just don't like the experience now. So in the long, in the short term, yeah, we're bringing the money in with all these games with the autumn internationals. But in the long run, I think, there's a danger of killing the, you know, the, the golden goose. And also it undermines the club games because the, the, the top, you know, the regions, they don't have their players before the autumn internationals for two weeks before, say the autumn internationals are four weeks, that's six weeks. Then often two weeks after that, they're not fit or not ready to be integrated. That's eight weeks without them. They then have bad results in Europe because the players aren't integrated and then all that. There. And then they're away for another six, seven, eight weeks in the six nations. And then, so then why would I bother watching the club game? Because my teams aren't got the top players and they're not performing well. So it's a real difficult, real difficult situation in rugby, very unique to rugby. And I I don't know what the answer is, but at some point you've got to, I think have to grow the club game. And also I think in this, the long-term benefit of Welsh rugby to have more people involved watching the domestic game, you know, it's, it's all, it's long-term thinking, but that's very difficult when, yeah, you have to, bring the money in and hit and pay off your debts and do all that. So I'm not envious. I know it's not an easy job for the Welsh Rugby Union. I, I get that, but it, we're certainly not doing a very good job of addressing the issue right now. The finances of Welsh Rugby is like a podcast in itself. The Welsh Government, uh, Welsh Rugby Union are re- just renew, uh, negotiated their COVID loans that they pulled out for the regions, you know, about 20 million with NatWest. You, we hope they're in favourable terms so that you know these regions can pay off their loans. But it's worrying. You know, we need to fill those stadiums up. We need to build up the hospitality at, at these stadiums as well to, to you know ensure that we still have a professional game in Wales. We could talk about Pontypridd and Pontypool and the clubs that have been hard done by regionalisation and all the rest of it. But at the end of the day, I, I don't think we could re- feasibly have more than four professional sides in Wales to have a strong national team. With, with the way the you know the costings of the games, uh, the international is going, you're going to start seeing a different audience. I think eventually, we we say rugby's a working class game. I'm not sure many people can afford 100 pound tickets. The, the way WRU works, where they give tickets, um, where the clubs buy the tickets off the WRU to sell back. I don't think many people understand that a lot of these clubs aren't selling their tickets. They they can't sell it in the community, yeah. and then that has a knock on effect on the clubs. You know the. You know, lockdown's been hard for many of these clubs, um, but they're the ones that were getting the food parcels out and doing all the work on the ground. I, th- I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of thinking needed to be done by the WRU going forward about how they finance not just the professional game but the community game too. Yeah, again, my local club 
we used to be very plastic silly sports. I remember growing up, you know, we small, we were a junior club, so um, we didn't have many tickets, but you know, there was only, you had two Five Nation games and maybe a tour match, maybe one other. You had four games a year and tickets were gold dust. Um, now uh, we have to take the tickets because we, we obviously is attractive to members, but people can't afford to go to every game. There's now uh, eight, nine home games a season. So the club's often left over, obviously some tickets go to sponsors, but the club's struggling. And you'll see it on Twitter, you know, clubs like mine, we've got five tickets to get rid of tomorrow or the club's 600 pound down. And that's a lot of money for a local club. And it is, it is, a, it is a massive, massive problem on the ticket in front. And again, that's like going back to the golden goose analogy. But the problem is at the moment, on the whole, the stadium either sells out or sells three quarters out in the autumn internationals. And the, I genuinely think the Welsh Rugby Union are like, we sold out, it's fine, that works, that's, you know, got the money coming in. And that's, again, going back to this, uh, the vision of the people involved. And, um, you know, I, again, without, you know, it's not exactly the question, but I really do think there needs to be, the only way the Welsh Rugby is going to reform is from outside. And also we need to split the, you know, this community game and, and the professional game are two very different things. And I feel really sorry for clubs because if you don't take your tickets, you lose your allocation, I believe, or it used to be like that. So they have to take them, but um yeah it, it's it's tough and uh, again if people like me are kind of like okay i live abroad now but it's like i don't know if i want to pay 100 pounds and have drunk people stumble over me and i have to stand up 50 times a game and no one's watching the game around me then if i'm not if i'm getting turned off and people like me uh, the casual fan especially is not going to be attracted especially if and i hope we don't we do have a few barren years of results which is very feasible well, I just want to say thanks to, to both of you for coming to talk to us this evening. Before we go, I've got one last question, uh, and that is, who do you think will win the Six Nations, and do you fear it is wooden spoon year for Wales? Uh, Lewis, do you want to start us off? I, I'm going to go with uh, France. And, uh, no, I think we'll be all right. We'll always beat Italy. They look very good against France uh, on the weekend. I'm a little bit concerned about that myself. James, what do you think? Yeah, I, I hope France have always been my second team. I hope France, I think this will be France's year. I wish I had the confidence with Italy. I do think they are going to be better. I've also, as I said, I've grown up, I was in the crowd when we lost at home to Romania, lost at home to Canada. I've seen so many disasters that I have never in my life considered, uh, over, a lot of my life not considered Italy a walkover. And uh, I think it's going to be really tough. Um, but, you know, to be honest, I think... Uh, as I said, I hope we do well, but I'm not sure if we do. I don't think it's a great, you know, it's going to be some good coaching needed, but it's only going to paper over some cracks, I'm afraid. I'm going to end on a very negative note, sorry. Be happy, happy. Uh, thanks very much for both of you coming on. If people want to find out more from you on Twitter, where can they go? James? Uh, at JP Stafford. Wonderful. Dio. Uh, Lewis? Uh, at Lewis Eldred. Wonderful. Dio Kambarian, Ichigid. Uh, thank you all so much for listening to Hereith this evening. And if you want to find out more from us, you can go to Hereith Pod on both Facebook and Twitter. Or go to our new website, which is www.walespolitics.com. Thank you for listening to Hereith. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review.